Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Bay Preps Insider Podcast. It's playoff time! That's right, we are talking about the football playoffs today. The Central Coast section and North Coast section brackets came out yesterday. This used to be a day that I kind of dreaded. It's honestly become one of my favorite days of the year because of all the reactions and getting to answer the same questions. It's like, it's at the point where I can predict all of the questions that are going to be asked, or at least most of them. And it's kind of fun just seeing the reactions repeat on a cycle every year, and that was the case once again here. So I look forward to getting into that. Simply put, going to break down what's going on in the North Coast section and Central Coast section, which employ two very different systems, talk about teams to watch, who's hot entering the playoffs, who's not, who's got something to prove, storylines, how we got the brackets that we have, the system that created it all, and get you geared up for what should be a really fun week. We're going to start things off in the North Coast section, because the system to break down the NCS is a little bit more straightforward. Basically, the NCS is subjective, while the CCS system is objective, So the North Coast section, teams are split into seven divisions, each one accommodating a bracket of up to eight teams. All of those brackets are completely filled to eight, except for Division 7. Now, those divisions are primarily based off of enrollment, but there are provisions for teams to classify up and down based on moving up through divisions from having a lot of success or not making the playoffs for a while. They can move down. In order to qualify for the playoffs in the North Coast section, you have to either have a 500 overall record, a 500 record against teams within your division, or a 500 record against teams within your league. The only automatic qualifiers are teams that have been designated as league champions, which in the case of, you know, like a three-way tie can get a little hairy going off of tiebreaker rules. Sometimes that can come down to a random draw if, say, three teams all in one-and-one against each other and beat everybody else. There are scenarios where not every team that qualified makes the playoffs. You have divisions with far more than eight qualified teams. But just to give you the quick rundown, we're going to go from Division 7 up to Division 1, which is also combined with the Open Division. When we get to that, give you the lowdown on the D1 slash Open Division format that's been in place now for a couple of years. So Division 7, for the most part, consists of smaller schools in the extreme northern part of the section, though there are a couple of small private schools within D7 as well, including St. Patrick, St. Vincent, and Berean Christian. The number one seed in D7, the 9-1 Clear Lake Cardinals, whose only loss came to Kelseyville. There is no eight seed, so Clear Lake gets a bye straight in the semifinals. They will face the winner of 4th-seeded St. Helena and 5th-seeded Ferndale. Ferndale, contrary to popular belief, is not the alma mater of Guy Fieri because he did not graduate. He did a year abroad and then did not go back to high school for his senior year, just went straight to college. And obviously that worked out for him. But Ferndale is definitely Mr. Fieri's hometown. Number two, Willits hosts number seven, Berean Christian. And number three, Kelseyville, who has that win over Clear Lake, hosting number six, St. Patrick, St. Vincent. Division six mainly consists of small private schools, but does have some representation from further north as well. The number one seed, the Mustangs of St. Vincent de Paul. 
Coming in with an 8-2 record, they went 3-1 in the NBL Redwood. They'll host number 8 Kennedy of Richmond out of the TCAL Stone Division. The 4th seed, the Fortuna Huskies, they will host 5th seeded Middletown. Number 2, Moreau Catholic, hosting number 7, Arcata. And we've got an all-TCAL matchup in the 3-6 game with Salesian, who finished second in the TCAL Rock Division to El Cerrito, hosting number 6, St. Mary's of Albany. St. Mary's went 3-1 in the Stone Division, finishing second to Vallejo. These two teams faced off in the regular season way back in Week 3 with Salesian winning 18-14 on the road. Division 5, Miramonte looks to be the heavy favorite. They are the number one overall seed. They come in at 6-3, having lost their final three games of the regular season, but those three all to far better teams than they're likely to see in this bracket. Acalanes, Campolindo, Los Lomas. They will take on the number 8 San Rafael Bulldogs, who are coming off of a rivalry loss to Terralinda. In the 4-5 matchup, we've got a team out of the Diablo Valley League, and that's league champion Alhambra, the Bulldogs hosting fifth-seeded Piedmont. Piedmont, the co-champions of the West Alameda County Shoreline Division. Co-champions there along with Kennedy of Fremont. Both of those teams have made the postseason. We mentioned San Rafael. Well, their crosstown rival also made it as the number seven seed. That's the Terrellinda Trojans. They head up to Eureka to take on St. Bernard's on Saturday. Admittedly, for the longest time, I thought it was pronounced St. Bernard. I believe it's actually St. Bernard's. Not to be confused with the type of dog. And then number three, you've got Annalee up in Sebastopol. They will host Justin Siena. Annalee went two and three in the NBL Oak Division. Justin Siena, two and four in the Vine Valley Athletic League. Division four. The prevailing thought is that San Marin and Acalanes are on a crash course for a rematch. Remember, they met in the very first week of the season, San Marin winning that one 27-20. The Mustangs are 10-0 after finally beating Marin Catholic. They are the outright MCAL champions. They will host number 8 Kennedy of Fremont. The Titans, co-champs of the West Alameda County Shoreline Division. The fourth-seeded Corre... Maria Carrillo Pumas out of Santa Rosa. They went 5-5 five five on the year, 2-2 two two in the NBL Redwood Division, beating Piner and Healdsburg convincingly, losing by 42-14 scores to both Ukiah and St. Vincent de Paul. They will host the fifth-seeded Petaluma Trojans. Petaluma 6-4, 4-2 in VVAL play, though they lost their final two league games to Casa Grande and Vintage. Number two, Acalanes will host superstar running back Herschel Turner Jr. and the Mount Diablo Red Devils. Mount D coming in with a 7-3 record, 3-1 in league play. Their losses on the season are to Oakland Tech, Alhambra, and Benicia. Acalanes will certainly be favored, but it'll be fun to see Turner go up against the best opponent he's faced all year, less than 50 yards away from breaking 3,000 on the campaign. The third-seeded TCAL Stone Champion Vallejo Redhawks will host the number six Del Norte Warriors. Del Norte six and three on the season. They played in a state championship game back in 2019. That 2019 team had a stud running back, Levi Cox Cooley. I saw their NorCal championship game in which they beat Kings Academy 21 to 14. 
one of the cleanest football games I've ever seen. I believe there were two or three penalties total, and one of them was a deliberate delay of game taken in the final minutes, trying to run down the clock before punting. Del Norte, under a first-year head coach in Darren LaFazio, they have just 25 men on their roster, but that's the sort of deal they've had to contend with for a long time, and really it hasn't held them back over the years. Division 3, the number one seed, despite their season-ending loss, is Marin Catholic. They are 9-1. They will host Bishop O'Dowd, the 8 seed. They already beat the Dragons back in September, 52-0. The fourth seed are the Gauchos of Casa Grande, the VVAL champions. They have a 9-1 overall record. That one loss, a 27-13 season-opening defeat to Cardinal Newman. They host Tamil Pius. Los Lomas has the second seed, part of the three-way tri-championship in the Diablo Foothill League. They will host seventh-seeded Ukiah, led by first-year head coach Paul Cronin. Cronin, having formerly coached at Windsor and Cardinal Newman before that weird brief stint in Ohio that didn't last very long. Now, Los Lomas will be heavily favored against Ukiah, but if the Wildcats could somehow pull it off, one of Cronin's former teams, those Cardinal Newman Cardinals, would likely be waiting. They will host number six American Canyon in a quarterfinal on Friday. Division two really looks like two main contenders there. Number one, El Cerrito, and number two, Windsor. The Gauchos, who did not allow a point in TCAL Rock Play, will host the eighth-seeded Berkeley Yellow Jackets. Berkeley champions of the West Alameda County Mission Division. They went 5-0 in league play, have a 7-3 overall record. El Cerrito is 9-1 with the one coming against De La Salle in that impromptu scheduled game, part of that whole whirlwind week. Winner of that game will take on the winner of number 4 Redwood and number 5 Heritage, that game to be played on Saturday afternoon in Larkspur. Redwood 7-3, having started the season 5-0 before dropping three of their final five to San Marin, Marin Catholic, and Tamil Pius. Saturday football, nothing new for Redwood, but will be a bit of an adjustment for a heritage team that's very used to playing on Friday nights. The Windsor Jaguars, the two-seed, will host number seven, Vintage. The Crushers enter with a 5-5 five five overall record, 4-2 in VVAL play. They have an impressive win over Antioch, barely lost to Cardinal Newman, hung in there with Heritage and American Canyon, as well as Casa Grande. They enter on a three-game winning streak and seem to be peaking at the right time, but obviously drew a very tough matchup there. I think the 3-6 game could be really interesting with Granada hosting Rancho Catate. Rancho a bit down this year, still third in the NBL Oak Division, where they went 3-2 and two with the two losses to Windsor and Cardinal Newman. They've won back-to-back -back games since then by a combined 98-6 over Monterey and Santa Rosa, and are entering the postseason on a high note. Granada at 7-3, and three, the three losses coming to Monta Vista, California, and Amador Valley. Matadors finished second in the EBAL Valley Division, and have won three of their last four. All right, the big one, Division One plus the Open Division. So the NCS adopted this format before the 2021 season, basically to accommodate De La Salle and accommodate all the teams that are stuck in a division where they usually lose to De La Salle. So it's not quite your typical eight-team bracket. 
instead of the 1-8 and 4-5 winners playing, the 1-8 and 2-7 winners play in the second week, and that's the Open Division Championship. The loser of that game drops down into the Division I Championship against whoever wins the 3-versus-6 and 4-versus-5 games. So, obviously, you really don't want to be the number 8 or 7 seed, but if you are, and you upset one of the top two teams, which, unlikely but not impossible, you basically have a cushion in Week 2, you're playing in the Open Division Championship, and if you lose that, you play in Division 1 the following week. So, the last two years, Pittsburgh has been the number 2 seed, has lost to De La Salle that got on to win Division 1 in advance to a NorCal playoff game. This year, they will not have that chance. The Pirates are the third seed because number two is indeed San Ramon Valley. There was some debate to be had between SRV and Pittsburgh, but considering that the Wolves took Dallas Al to overtime the first time, I think this truly is the right choice to give them a crack at a rematch. They've been one of the best in Northern California all year. No disrespect to a 10-0 Pittsburgh team that's blown past most of its competition. The only really close games, the three-point win over Monterey Trail, the three-point win over California, and a 10-point win over Los Gatos. They very comfortably dispatched the entire Bay Valley Athletic League, including rival Antioch, who they beat on Saturday to win their eighth consecutive Big Little game. Final score there, 55-6. It was 28-0 after a quarter and 41-6 at half. But SRV gets the number two seed, and with a win in week one, we'll get that second crack at De La Salle. To get there, the Wolves will have to beat Campolindo, who extended their season by winning a share of the Diablo Foothill title with that wild victory over Akalanis on Friday night. These teams met last year as well in the Division II Championship, which SRV won 35-21. This year, when they go at it again, it will indeed be at SRV. Last year was at neutral site Dublin. De La Salle will host the eight-seeded Logan Colts, who are the automatic qualifier out of the West Alameda County Foothill Division, courtesy of that win over Bishop O'Dowd to secure the outright league title. That is the biggest reason Liberty did not make the playoffs. There was some uproar out of Brentwood after Liberty went 7-3 and three but failed to qualify. Unfortunately, while the Lions did go 7-3, and three, their two biggest non-league games were both losses— a one-point loss to Los Gatos, where they had a three-score lead, and the 66-12 blowout against SRV. They finished second in a decent league, but outside of Pittsburgh, it's not like there were really any chances to grab a mammoth win. Antioch, similarly, did not make the playoffs in that Division I field, and that was their best win probably all year. The rest of Liberty's non-league games really didn't offer too many chances for Big wins. They took care of Enochs, Wood, and Fremont of Oakland, all out of section. None particularly big wins. They were certainly ranked within the top eight by most computer rankings, but with Logan getting the automatic bid, that's where Liberty gets squeezed out. So if De La Salle and SRV take care of business, they will meet in the second week at a neutral site. The winner of that game would head straight to the NorCal playoffs and have a bye week before presumably playing in something like Division 1A or 1AA. The loser would take on whoever comes out of the 3rd through 6th pod, where you've got number 3 Pittsburgh hosting number 6 Amador Valley, the Dons the champions of the EBAL Valley Division, 
really, other than the puzzling rivalry loss to Foothill, a pretty stellar year for Amador. Pittsburgh, as we mentioned, 10-0. Swept through Bay Valley Athletic League play at 5-0 quite easily. Haven't really been challenged a ton since non-league play. Clayton Valley has the four seed, but will be playing at fifth-seeded California. And according to Darren Sabedra of the Mercury News, Clayton Valley lost out on the possibility to host a game after excessive celebrations at the end of their win over California last month, which also led to eight players getting suspended for the game against De La Salle. And if those were significant players, that would also explain why that game was 41-0 by halftime. Judging by the quotes in here from Clayton Valley head coach Nick Tisa, he wasn't disputing it or anything. Seems like he feels the players and program merited this result. Unfortunate that it came down to that. But as I was discussing with Soquel offensive coordinator Jake Clark, who's been a pretty loyal listener so far, wanted to say I really do appreciate that. He's been saying that no, home field advantage really isn't that big a deal in high school. And no, it's not from the aspect of, you know, how much is it going to help you to win a game? Maybe it influences a call or two here or there. Maybe there's a bit of a confidence thing and a comfort thing, but it really doesn't transform things that much. It's not like you have 80,000 people screaming at you like you do in the SEC. And it can be a bit of financial boost to your school as well from gate receipts, concessions, all of that. It's more about celebrating your program than anything. Getting the right to host a home playoff game can be pretty prestigious, and that's something that Clayton Valley loses out on, though I don't think it transforms the complexion of this game on the field all that much. Remember that the football brackets weren't the only brackets to come out over the weekend, State tournament volleyball brackets also came out, and before we take a break, I do want to get into those. Volleyball using the same format as basketball, where basically the top eight teams get put in the open division, the next 16 into Division One, the next 16 into Division Two, and so on. Divisions 1, 2, and 3 each have 16 teams, Division 4 has 15 teams, and Division 5 has 14 on the Northern California side. Not really much to get into on the Southern California section, other than mentioning that nationally ranked Mater Day is the number one seed down south. The open division with eight teams, number one Midi versus number eight Redwood, number four Sacred Heart Prep against number five Branson, third seeded Foothill of Pleasanton hosting six seeded St. Mary Stockton, and an all WCAL two versus seven match with St. Francis hosting St. Ignatius, those to be played on Wednesday. The first round matchups in all the other divisions will be played on Tuesday. Looking at Division 5, you've got some OAL representation with Skyline as the number one seed and Oakland Tech as the five. Fourth-seeded Crystal Springs Uplands will host 13th-seeded Salesian, matchup of small private schools from across the Bay. Very little Division 4 representation from the Bay Area, but you do have number 15 Woodside heading to number 2 Marin Academy, and number 7 Castilea hosting number 10 Bay, Bay the Division 5 runners-up in the North Coast section. Division 3, you've got number 1 Harbor out of Santa Cruz, they will take on number 16 Akalanes, Lowell the AAA champs are 8, they'll host number 9 Justin Siena, 
Carmel, the fifth seed. The Padres will host 12th seeded Placer, who will make the trip down to the coast. Mercy Burlingame, the number two seed. They will host 15th seeded Mountain View at CSM. And third seeded Archie Williams will host number 14 Rippon. In D2, the Windsor Jaguars get the number one seed after falling to Redwood in the NCS D2 semifinals. Remember, a lot of times with these arbitrary cutoffs, you get teams that are not section champions getting top seeds, which can be a point of contention. Windsor will host NCSD3 runners-up University. Number 8, Aragon, will be at home against number 9, Roseville. Fourth-seeded Salinas will host 13th-seed Clovis. Remember, those two schools have faced off in football the last couple years. Los Gatos facing Notre Dame-Belmont. Tigers hosting that one in a 7 versus 10 matchup. Tamil Pius, after winning their first section championship, gets rewarded with a 15 seed and a trip up to Chico to take on Pleasant Valley. Sacred Heart Cathedral gets the third seed in Division 2 and will take on number 14, Campolindo. Once again, all of those enrollment division matchups on Tuesday. Rounding that out, Division 1, the one seed, the first team out of the Open Division is Marin Catholic, who will host 16th Granite Bay. Burlingame is the 12 seed and will visit number 5 Amador Valley. Palo Alto got the 13 seed and will visit number 4 Rockland. Three seed San Ramon Valley will host number 14 Christian Brothers, and the winner of that game will definitely face a CCS Open Division team, as it'll be number 6 Valley Christian hosting number 11 MA. Monta Vista gets stuck with the 15 seed and will travel to number 2 Buchanan down in Clovis. Menlo, the 10 seed, will head to number 7 Oak Ridge up in El Dorado Hills. You're listening to the Bay Preps Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Castle. Be right back. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the Bay Preps Insider Podcast, please follow, subscribe, Give us a rating, leave a comment, leave a review. If you want to talk directly with me, shoot me an email at ethancastle at gmail.com. No dots or dashes, just ethancastle at gmail.com. Always love chatting about high school sports with anyone and everyone who's willing to listen. This is also a reminder that the CCS Football Bracket Challenge is underway. Picks are due by 4 p.m. Friday when the first game begins. Shoot me a DM on Twitter or an email if you're not sure how it works, but basically you just fill out the bracket for each division, all five of them like an NCAA tournament bracket. It's not like you pick at the start of each round, you just predict the whole way through. It's one point for getting a first round pick correct, two points for getting a semifinal pick correct, four points for getting a champion correct, and four bonus points if you get an entire bracket correct from start to finish. The winner of the challenge receives a free hot dog or similarly priced concession item. There is no entry fee, and there is no official betting on high school sports. That's why the closest thing I can give you is a free hot dog or burger or similarly priced item and a friendly handshake. And we're back on episode 21 of the Bay Preps Insider Podcast, talking about the playoffs you know, the whole Jim Mora thing, I'm not going to... Okay, you know what? I will do my lousy impression of him. Playoffs? Talk about the playoffs? Playoffs? There, there you go. You got it. Anyway, we already talked before the break about the North Coast section football playoffs, as well as the state volleyball playoffs. 
It's time to talk about football within the Central Coast section and the system that sets it all up. A subject of a lot of debate, a lot of discussion. So let's begin with kind of breaking down how this works. For those of you that aren't familiar, need a refresher, maybe you're listening and you're from outside of the CCS, or you're just a newcomer. Basically, there are 40 total berths available, five eight-team brackets, Division One through Division Five. The top eight teams get put in Division One, the next eight in Division Two, etc. So, it, like many of the other systems currently being employed around the state of California, is meant to create close games. And it does create competitive games and excitement, but also it creates arbitrary cutoff points. Where, for example, if you're the number eight team, you're the last seed in Division One, you're going up against Sarah. If you're the number nine seed in the entire section, you're number one in Division Two, And that leads to asking, you know, if you win Division Three, are you supposed to chant instead of we're number one, we're number 17? That's kind of one of the caveats of this system with these arbitrary cutoffs. But the, the whole goal and the reasoning is people like playing in exciting competitive games. Nobody likes blowouts. Blowouts aren't fun for anybody. And this does, generally speaking, not always, but generally, creates pretty close competitive games. And if you're asking about the system, please note that it is not just what's being done by the CCS. It's part of a broader goal within the section to match how the statewide system is being laid out and trying to send teams that align with the various levels and divisions for state playoff games. So, you get your 40 teams, but how do we get those 40? Well, 35 of those go by automatic qualifying berths, split up among each league and division. For the most part, typically, if you're classified as an A league, you have four automatic berths. If you're a B league, you have two. If you're a C league, you have one. So that covers 35 of the 40 berths. Now, the final five go by at-large bids. Remember that this is not done by some sort of subjective committee. This is all objective. This is all through a point system in which points are given based on playing against and beating tougher opponents. Basically, the whole system is meant to reward not only strength of victory, but strength of schedule overall. And the way the math works out, generally speaking, the five... At large berths, two of those are going to go to teams in the West Catholic Athletic League. So really, the rest of the section is playing for three at-large bids. Because pretty much every year, as far as I can remember, two at-large bids have always gone to fifth and sixth in the WCAL. Now, there is a provision in place that you have to finish in the top six in your league to make the playoffs. So seventh and eighth in the WCAL are out of luck. Now, people are probably asking, you know, oh, why is this team in at 3-7 and seven, but not this team at 8-2? and two? Well, the fact is the 3-7 and seven teams in question are almost always hailing from A leagues, whereas that 8-2 and two team is usually out of a C league. And if those teams played head-to-head, the 3-7 and seven team would probably win by 30-plus points. And that's how you get three and seven teams out of the BVAL, Mount Hamilton, PAL Bay, etc., making the postseason while an eight and two team out of a C League is on the outside looking in. 
you have people asking about, you know, what about a provision to make a team win, you know, at least four games or go 500 or something. And the problem with that is it would basically just incentivize scheduling non-league cupcakes, whereas the current system rewards teams for not only winning games, which requires, you know, scheduling the right level of competition, but for playing against good teams. And the teams that can schedule teams that are at or slightly above their level and win those games are the ones that are going to get rewarded. You know, in basketball, for example, there is a requirement. you got to go 500 either within your league or non-league. So for the WCAL teams, you know, the WCAL typically contains eight of the best 12 to 15 teams in the section in any sport. So in a sport like basketball, where you have 10 non-league games and 14 league games, you can schedule a couple of soft non-league games, make sure you get five non-league wins and punch that playoff ticket if you're not certain you're going to go 500 in the toughest league in the section. So a lot of the provisions are in place to accommodate the WCAL because otherwise you'd basically be punishing teams for playing in the best league. And while I understand that there are a lot of gripes about the WCAL, considering how much it dominates the area, you want to get your best and most deserving teams into the postseason. And some of that's not just off of a win and loss record. It's, you know, strength doesn't just go off of, oh, this team won eight games, this team won three games, so this eight-win team has to be better. There's such a range between the top and bottom in high school football that you don't want to just throw in the teams that have won a bunch of games because they played against Sister Mary's School for Wayward Boys. Now, one team that did a really good job with that in the last few years, and they didn't make the postseason this year because they were just down altogether, but Half Moon Bay, a few years back, they went 10-0, didn't play a great schedule, ended up ranked 8th and had to play Sarah in the first round. Not fun. They actually gave them a pretty good game for a half. They had a drive that covered the entire first quarter. The next year, they came back and decided, all right, what we're going to do is we're just going to schedule a bunch of really good teams. That way, if we beat them, then we'll be in Division One and we'll belong there. And if we don't beat them, then we'll end up in a proper division where we'll still qualify based off of playing good opponents, but we won't be as high up because we didn't stack up a billion wins. And I think that's the main gist of this system. It rewards you for scheduling up within reason. Now, it has its imperfections. Sarah is the only top seed to actually be a league champion. The other four one seeds are not league champs. Furthermore, only one of the two seeds is a league champ. So the teams that are guaranteed two home games before a neutral site final, only two of the ten are league champions. And that's where the arbitrary cutoffs become an issue. Now, as for how the teams get split between divisions... Like I said, through the point system, 1 through 8 go to Division 1, the next 8 go to Division 2, etc. There is a new wrinkle this year as the CCS has copied the NCS Open Division and Division 1 system that I mentioned earlier. So once again, the 1 and 2 winners will face off in the Open Division Championship. The loser of that drops into the D1 Championship. If you're struggling to conceptualize it, need a visual, just go to the CCS website and look at the bracket. It's laid out very straightforward on there. So, who's in the playoffs? Who's out? Well, the teams that unfortunately barely missed the postseason through the at-large berths include San Mateo, Milpitas, Kings Academy, Pacific Grove, Fremont of Sunnyvale, 
The at-large berths do indeed go to 5th and 6th out of the WCAL, Valley Christian and Mitty, along with Hollister, North Salinas, and Mountain View. So four of the five teams to get at-large berths do come from A-leagues. North Salinas, the one exception, they play in the PCAL Mission South. They got in with a 7-3 record. They went 4-2 in league play, only losing to Alice Allen Carmel. Their non-league loss was a very respectable two-touchdown defeat against Aptos. They also had non-league wins over Jefferson and Gilroy, and most impressively, opened the season with a 47-15 win over Soledad that has aged really, really well. So taking this thing on up from Division 5 through Division 1, in Division 5, number one seed Woodside hosting number eight Del Mar. Del Mar, the lowest point value through the computer system of all of the teams to get in. They are the champions of the BVAL West Valley, whereas Woodside finished second via a three-way tiebreaker in the PAL El Camino division. Should be a very ground-heavy game between Del Mar QB Andre Lattimore and Woodside running back Evan Usher. Fourth versus fifth, Santa Teresa, the defending Division Four champions. This year, they're the fourth seed in Division Five. They are hosting number five, Los Altos, the PAL El Camino champs, who finished placed behind Woodside despite beating them head-to-head, winning the league, finishing ahead of them in the league standings. Woodside had a superior strength of schedule and had the benefit of a big win over Overfelt, as well as a victory against Sequoia. Los Altos non-league, really their one big triumph came against San Mateo. So keep in mind, whereas the basketball system typically, which is through a committee, pretty much everything goes in order of league standings. Like, if you finish second in the league, you're getting placed into a bracket before third in the league. This does not give regard to that. It is all through the point system, and it is possible, and we'll discuss a few other occasions where it happened, where you can end up ahead of a team that you finished behind in the league standings. So head-to-head results are not the only factor. It's really just, in most cases, unless you play at a shortened schedule, it's one of your ten games. The overall body of work can still drown that out. Third seed in Division 5, the South San Francisco Warriors, resurgent after their program came back from the ashes last year. They're 9-1, and one. they're the PAL Lake Champs, and they will host number 6, Silver Creek. Raiders with the second bid out of the BVAL Santa Teresa Foothill. You've got two-seed Overfelt out of the Santa Teresa Valley Division. They are the winners of that three-way tiebreaker with Westmont and Sobrato. After coming back from down three scores in the fourth quarter to beat Sobrato on the final night of the regular season, they will host number seven Leland out of the BVAL Mount Hamilton. So two BVAL Mount Hamilton teams found their way into the Division Five bracket. That's two A-League teams. So D5, you've got two A-League teams, four B-League teams, and only two out of C-Leagues. Now, pre-2019, the CCS playoff system was completely different. If you were in an A-League, you would be in one of Divisions 1 through 3. If you were in a B or C-League, you'd be in Divisions 4 and 5. Two of the three runner-ups in the top three divisions would end up going to the state playoffs as well. And then the CIF made a rule that you have to win a section tournament to advance to the state playoffs. In turn, we have the system we have now with the open in Division One hybrid format that the NCS first introduced. 
Again, a lot of what's being done is just to mirror and accommodate how the state system functions, and that needs to be remembered. It's not just the section, it's the section trying to mirror itself after the state, because the CIF is actually a loose confederation. The CIF really doesn't have all that much power over each of its member sections, and that needs to be remembered in a situation like this. That said, this is the strangest D5 bracket I've seen in that only two C-League teams are there and two A-League teams are there. Some years you have one A-League team slip in, but to have two is certainly unusual. I tend to believe that even though if you're an A-League team that slipped down to Division 5, you're not necessarily the best of the best. You've played against opponents that play at a different speed than C-League teams and certainly enter with a leg up. That said, this is all part of a trend where really the BVAL as a whole has dipped in recent years, especially the Mount Hamilton. And while the top two teams in the Mount Hamilton division are quite strong and are both in Division Two, past that there's certainly a drop. There are no Mount Hamilton teams in D3 or D4. The BVAL has two teams in D2, two in Division Four, and four in Division Five. In Division 4, the number one seed is Palo Alto. The Vikings were the number two seed in Division 5 last year, coming out of an A-League with a 4-6 and six record. This year, they come out of an A-minus league, effectively what the PAL De Anza is, with a 5-5 five and five record. That game against Kings Academy was essentially a play-in game. They have the number one spot and will take on number eight Seaside. The Spartans are the runners-up in the... PCAL Mission North Division. They are 7-3, with one of those wins being by forfeit against Santa Cruz. They entered the playoffs having lost two of three, those coming against Scotts Valley and Seaside, interspersed by a win over St. Francis of Watsonville. Seaside last year was the third seed in Division 5 and lost a semifinal to Palo Alto, 34-6. The PCAL represented well in Division 4 with three teams. It's a bracket that has three PCAL, three PAL, and two BVAL. Fourth-seeded North Salinas, 7-3 a year after going 0-10, will host number 5 Lee. Lee, the outright champions of the BVAL Santa Teresa Valley Division. That game will be 4 p.m. on Friday at Rabobank Stadium, part of a doubleheader with Palma to play after. More on Palma in a minute. That's a Division Three game, hint, hint. Lee's rival, Branham, has the third seed after winning the Santa Teresa Foothill Division. It's going to be Bruins versus Bruins as Branham hosts number six, Greenfield. Greenfield, a C-League champion out of the PCAL Santa Lucia Division. Normally, that would put them in Division Five and get a home game. However, they are up to Division Four. They are the sixth seed in Division Four, meaning they are ranked 30th out of the section's 40 playoff teams. And while that is certainly high praise for a team out of a C-League, a 9-1 team that has never had this level of success, unfortunately, they don't get a home playoff game. And you know that a small community like that down south along 101 would have come out in huge numbers. Hopefully, they still come out in huge numbers and pack the visiting side at Branham and either before or after the game, go to eat at Smoke Eaters. Anytime I'm around San Jose, Smoke Eaters is one of my go-tos. I'm not that huge on the wings, but the cheesesteak egg rolls might be the greatest appetizer on the planet. Also, if you're of drinking age, all of their locations have pretty good tap lists. They are not a sponsor. 
Wouldn't mind if they became one. The two versus seven game is a rematch from the regular season. Mountain View hosting Burlingame. Now, Mountain View went four and six. They went 0 and five in the Bay Division. Burlingame three and seven, one and four in the Bay Division. They got an automatic berth through finishing fifth in the Bay. The PAL members decided that the De Anza basically gave up its fourth bid to give the PAL a fifth, so pretty much Burlingame got in where King's Academy would have had an auto berth under prior bylaws. And Burlingame is behind Mountain View thanks to some difficult non-league results, close losses to the likes of Cappuccino and San Mateo. So Burlingame will be at Mountain View despite beating them on the road in the regular season 21-14. to You've got a Mountain View team that can spread the ball around. QB Kevin Conway returned last week and got healthy. Burlingame, at their most effective, runs the ball well behind Angelo Medina with help from Cole Quilici. Division 3 already mentioned Palma. They are the four seed. Now, when you look at Palma, it says they're three and seven. On the field, they're six and four. They had to forfeit three games from non-league play due to use of an ineligible player. And as it turns out, that may have been to their benefit. I would imagine they would have been somewhere in Division 2 had they been an A-League team with a 6-4 and four overall record. Haven't done the math on that. It would also require recalculating the points for Alisal and a couple others. And there's a whole domino effect to it. But it is funny. And it kind of points out one of the problems with this system for all the strengths it has in creating close games and exciting matchups that... At times, the system does kind of reward losing. And it has Palma as the fourth seed in D3 instead of somewhere around Division 2. They will host number 5 Hollister, who they beat in overtime in the regular season. That was the first game for Palma after finding out they had to forfeit those games, and instead of being 3-2, and two, were 0-5. Oh Thomas Nunez ran for a two-point conversion in OT to win that game. This time, they'll get the Baylors at Rabobank Stadium, Scheduled for 7 o'clock. My guess is it starts a little later, depending on how long that North Salinas Lee game goes. That's your 4 versus 5 game. The 1 versus 8 game, you've got Menlo Atherton hosting Hillsdale. MA went 4 and 6 out of an A league, has the 1 seed in Division 3, and will host a Hillsdale team that went 7 and 3 in a B league. Now, losing to Aragon definitely knocked Hillsdale down a couple of pegs, but the Fighting Knights were probably not looking at a home game to begin with. Unsure on the injury status of MA quarterback Xander Eshelman, you know Hillsdale can throw it behind Eric Waugh, but struggled with physicality last week against Aragon, and they're going to have to step up to face a very physical team in MA that has a lot of size. Number three, Aragon hosting number six, Scotts Valley, some of the Santa Cruz area journalists were pretty ticked off that Scotts Valley doesn't have a home game after a 9-1 season. They went 6-0 in the PCAL Mission North Division. Their lone loss all year came against Soquel back on September 14th. They will be on the road to take on an Aragon team that tied for first in the PAL Ocean Division. Technically, they are considered a league co-champ by definition, although they did lose head-to-head -to, -head to that Cappuccino team. Cap is the number two seed and will take on number seven, Alisal, who enters at nine and one. Alisal's lone loss in the record books came to Carmel, who went undefeated, a game Alisal led by two scores late, though they were also given a forfeit win after the fact against Palma. So really, eight and two on the field, nine and one in the record books, 
and number one in your hearts, I'm sure. That reminds me of a really funny Instagram caption from an athlete. I believe it was a kid I went to high school with, actually, who said, number 11 on the field, number 11 in your hearts. And someone said, don't you mean number one? He goes, nah, number 11, you've probably got, you know, 10 close friends, family, things like that. But I feel like number 11 is a safe bet. So please remember that. Number 11 on the field, number 11 in your hearts. Anyway, number two, Cappuccino hosting number seven, Alisal. Remember that this format does not regard school size at all when it comes to sorting teams into divisions. Hence why Cappuccino, with just under 1,100 students last year, those are the enrollment figures we have from the prior year, will host Alisal, who had nearly 2,900 students last year and is one of the largest schools in the entire Central Coast section. Now, in some sections and some playoff systems, league champions are pretty much automatically given home games, at least in the first round, even if it's a 16 hosting a 1, such as in North Coast section basketball. The only time that doesn't apply is if they're both league champions. So there have been years where a 16 who wins a low-tier league hosts a 1 that did not win a very strong league. That is a provision that I would certainly be interested in the CCS implementing. Because of the 14 league champions, only 6 have home games within the first round. The other complaint, and I had part of this discussion with R.J. Davis, who's an assistant coach at Fremont and Sunnyvale, is that there are teams that get automatic berths that have far fewer points than teams that have at-large bids. One way that we could cure some of this with the at-large bids would be if there wasn't a requirement that every section champ has to go on to a state bowl game or regional playoff game. I think the teams that barely got squeezed out of the playoffs, if they were told they had to compete in Division 6 and that didn't lead to going on to a NorCal playoff game, if that was where you put teams that went, say, 8-2 and two in a C league, such as Cupertino, I don't think those teams would complain too much. But that's something that needs to be addressed at the state level. The CCS Division II bracket has a mix of representation from every possible league, two BVAL, two PAL, three PCAL, and one WCAL. The latest rankings knocked Midi down to Division II, which pushed Salinas up into Division I. So you could say that that 35-0 loss to Valley Christian, the margin of it, and the resulting domino effects may have very well helped to extend Midi's season. Because if you're eight in Division One, you're playing against Sarah. If you're number one in Division Two, you open with a home game. Not that Christopher is a pushover. Remember, they were 9-0 and entering last week and lost to Live Oak after leading 21-0 early. But compared to Sarah, I mean, yeah, you'd probably like your chances a lot more playing Christopher. Number four, Live Oak, facing number five, Menlo. Second year in a row, Menlo has to make the trek down to Morgan Hill to meet the Acorns. Last year, they beat them there 21-14 in a Division Three semifinal. I will be at the Sacred Heart Prep Monterey game on Saturday. SHP, the three seed, really playing good football right now. Not a team anyone wants to face. Monterey coming off a Battle of the Bay win over Seaside. Finished third in their first year in the Gabalon division. They are 7-3 and three overall with the three losses coming to Hollister, Soquel, and Salinas. 
Now, a physical team like SHP seems to profile with the type of teams that Monterey lost to over the course of the season, but I think this should be a really solid game. Two very different types of teams should make for a fun Saturday afternoon matchup. And uh, just a little spoiler alert, I am also going to be filling in as the PA announcer at that game. So if you want to hear my wonderful voice, come on down to SHP Saturday afternoon, 1 p.m. The winner of that game will face the winner of the SoCal-Carmel game. Carmel has been an offensive force all year. They won the PCAL Mission South. They averaged 46 points a game. SoCal allowing, in their nine games they actually got on the field for, under 14 per game. Salinas, the only team of the six Gabalon Division opponents to even score more than 14 against SoCal. Defense has been terrific all year. The Knights will be a serious threat there in the D2 bracket. Their only losses all year, a season opener to Los Gatos, and that game to Salinas early in league play. Finally, the Open Division plus Division 1. I'll mention it again in case you haven't gotten the memo. The CCS has adopted the format that the NCS has used the last couple years, combining Division 1 and the Open Division together. The winners of the 1 versus 8 and 2 versus 7 games will face off in week 2. The loser of that game drops into the Division 1 championship the week after against whoever emerges out of 3rd through 6th. The winner of the Open Division game will have a bye, and assuming it's Sarah, would also have a bye the week after because they'll advance straight to the State Open game. So Sarah's postseason would basically convince of two games, two weeks off, and then one more game. So yes, Sarah is the one seed, and as alluded to, Salinas is the eight. Last year, Salinas was the four, faced Sarah in the semifinals as the CCS was still using the traditional bracket format at the time. That game did not go well for the Cowboys. They lost 57-21. to A thunderous hit on a kickoff return from last year's game by Sarah's Johnny Latu is making the rounds right now. While last year's game ended 57-21, that game was 50-7 at halftime. Salinas did tack on a couple of scores in the second half against some of Sarah's backups. The 2-7 game, a couple of familiar opponents with some deep family ties. St. Francis hosting Wilcox. Two very run-heavy attacks, although through different fashions. Wilcox, you know they like to run the veer. St. Francis out of the I formation. There are some connections through the Calcano family. These two teams met most recently in the 2017 playoffs, a quarterfinal game that St. Francis won 52-27. They also met in 15, the Lancers winning that one 41-21. That was a semifinal in Division II. It is worth mentioning that St. Francis has some serious playoff demons to overcome. As great as the Lancer program has been, they have not won a section title since 2014, which for a team of that caliber is kind of unbelievable. They've played in two state title games since then, but playoff success has been fleeting. And the most frustrating trend is that a lot of those years, that playoff loss within the section tournament has come to a team that they beat in the regular season. Obviously, the 2021 game against Sarah with the gunshot delay was quite notable. 
They had crushed the Padres in the regular season finale, lost to them 16-12 to three weeks later. But it goes back beyond that. 2015, beat Oak Grove in a season opener, lost to them in a CCS championship, 27-21. to 2016, lost to Sarah by one in OT in the regular season, lost to them again in the playoffs by two touchdowns. 2017, also a pair of losses to Sarah. 2018, beat Valley Christian 7-3 in the regular season, lost 31-30 in double overtime. In the section championship game, a missed extra point being the decisive blow there after surrendering a late lead. Lancers had led that game 17-7 and had a 17-10 late until the final five minutes. Then an OT had an extra point blocked. Valley scored. Valley made their extra point. 2019, they lost to Valley Christian twice, regular season and playoffs. 2021, obviously, had the results against Sarah. 44-21 win, 16-12 loss. And then 2022, maybe the most stunning of all, after beating Mitty 35-13, facing them again two weeks later, squandering a late two-score lead and losing in overtime after fumbling the snap on what would have been a game-tying extra point. So going to have a story on that later this week. Talk about the Lancers' efforts to overcome that. There's some speculation, and I don't know how true it is because, frankly, all of these games have been so different, these playoff losses to teams they had beaten in the regular season, that it's hard to categorize them all. But there is certainly a prevailing mindset that because they're one of those teams, you know, it's we're going to dance to one song and one song only, you know exactly what they're going to run and exactly how they're going to do it, that teams facing them a second time are well geared up for them. Some teams will also tell you that playing them on a neutral field is very different. A lot of coaching staffs believe that St. Francis gets a lot of home cooking from the refs. That's not my belief. I'm just relaying what you hear from being in the visiting press box and often sitting next to visiting team coordinators at St. Francis. But their plight in recent years in the postseason is going to be one of the storylines that I follow very closely. As interesting as that'll be, I think the third through sixth pod in this Division I bracket is tremendously exciting. You've got number three, St. Ignatius, against number six, Valley Christian. St. Ignatius, despite finishing fourth in the WCAL, has the third seed. Why are they third? Why is Reardon the fifth seed, even though Reardon finished ahead of them in the league standings? Reardon beat them head-to-head. Well, it's simple. SI got a bunch of points for playing against a couple of league champions and beating one of them. The win over Jesuit carries a lot of weight, as does facing San Ramon Valley and beating San Diego Power Cathedral Catholic. Reardon's non-league schedule was not quite of that same caliber. It was still good, but it was not as loaded as SI's. Valley comes in with the sixth seed, playing some of their best ball as of late. 35-0 winners over Mitty last week. A week before that, in the game the whole way with Sarah, losing 24-13. That is not a team I would want to face right now. Although similar to St. Francis... You know what they're going to run at you. If you face them before, you have the experience. It's not like they're going to completely reinvent the wheel, change their entire game plan up. But you want to look at a team that's coming into the playoffs hot. Valley Christian is a great example of one. Once all year, they allowed more than 24 points. That was to a potential 
semifinal opponent in Reardon, who is the fifth seed. Reardon, despite finishing third in the WCAL, seeded number five. They will be at Los Gatos. Third straight year, Los Gatos opens the playoffs hosting a WCAL opponent with hopes of finally exercising these playoff demons. Last year, a one-point overtime loss to Midi, where the Monarchs went for two and got it. A year before that, driving for the game-winning touchdown against Bellarmine, they gave up a pick six, 94 yards in the final minute. This time, a bit less familiarity, not like there are families split between Los Gatos and Reardon, like you have families where some of the kids went to LG and some went to Midi or some went to Bellarmine. But nonetheless, it's a big-time WCAL school taking on Los Gatos. While Reardon and Los Gatos don't have a lot of history together, Crusader head coach Adir Ravapati does have familiarity with the Wildcats from his time at Menlo Atherton. During his four seasons at MA, they played twice. They had also played when he had been coaching JV teams in prior years. 2016, MA beat them at home 35-28 thanks to a late defensive stand. That was one of the more fun games of that season. 2017, MA won a 56-41 shootout at Helm Field. That game was 41-21 at halftime. Troy Franklin, as a freshman, only had two catches that night. One went for a touchdown. Miles Conrad threw four TDs for the Bears that night, including two to Spencer Corona. And DeMarshawn Payton ran for two scores in that game. Los Gatos QB Robert Nelson also threw for four scores in that game, but threw a pair of interceptions, one to current MA basketball assistant Javante Hill, the other to Gary Carter. Also, Daniel Haymuli, who is now playing for the bull-eligible Arizona Wildcats, forced to fumble that night. Current Bellarmine assistant Dimitri Sakalia had a sack. It's fun looking back at some of the names that were in that game, especially on that MA team. How many of them are either still playing or are now coaching? Judging by Twitter poll data, as of now, that's where I'm going to be on Friday night. If you haven't voted yet, you should. Would love to have your input on where I should be going, what game you want me to be covering, what you're interested in. I really do appreciate any and all feedback, and I'm really looking forward to this time of year. It's a very busy time of the year with the football playoffs, volleyball playoffs, the start of basketball season right around the corner. But there will be a lot to talk about and many more episodes of the Bay Preps Insider Podcast coming. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Leave a rating and a review. Helps with the algorithm. Helps us reach more people. The goal of this is to get people talking about high school sports, have a platform for discussions, and you taking the 10 to 20 second time to give a rating and a review really does help. Also, if you see me around, say what's up. Let me know if you've been listening. I really do appreciate that. My emails are always open, ethancastle at gmail.com. And shoot me a message, whether through email or through Twitter, if you want to enter the 2023 CCS Football Bracket Challenge where you can compete for the fabulous prize of a concession stand hot dog and a friendly handshake. Once again, this has been the Bay Preps Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Castle. Someday I'll come up with a really good sign-off line. Today is not that day.